Hello, climate change. Waking up and taking action one conversation at a time. And today, I'm having a conversation with my stepson, Brendan McPherson. Yay! Usually, aren't, isn't any applause, but today I thought I, I would. I was going to say, is there a studio audience? <laughs> is there a hidden studio audience that, that, I, no, that I've missed out on? Or? But I should find a like a track, you know, a soundtrack right. of that. Yeah, that you should I, get like like yeah like an '80s like like an old soundboard, like a pre-recorded like or like yeah. a laugh track or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. That'd be, that'd well, be nice that would be helpful for such a heavy subject anyway to have yeah. a laugh track here and there. Yeah, I got to lighten the mood. Yeah. So I have to first say apologize that I've been a little slow on the next episode. I've had a couple of things fall through. It's August and I just want to ride my bike. And so I'm not going to make any more excuses. But um, but I do have a couple of really exciting um, episodes lined up. So stay tuned for those. One is with my friend, the climate scientist, Angie Seth. And another is from an activist who leads a 350.org group in Massachusetts. So, um, so those are coming up soon. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, I'm happy to be talking with Brendan (laughs) and, um, Brendan, uh, I've known Brendan since he was 11 and he immediately impressed me at that age with, um, how much he knew about our government way more than I did when he was 11. He already knew way more than I did. So, so I thought it would be useful to me and maybe to some other um, listeners who, like me, maybe feel a little embarrassed about how little they know about mm-hmm. how our system works to have a conversation with you, Brendan, about mm-hmm. that. But before we get into that, is there anything you want to say about what you've been thinking about in terms of climate change? Climate change. Um, first, it, yeah. first of all, thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, and a second, I mean, really what I've been thinking about climate change, it's bad. Uh, I'm not a fan of it. Um, <laughs> as someone who's going to be on the receiving end of all the bad stuff and none of the economic growth that created all the climate change in the first place. Right, we should say you're 21 years yeah, old. I'm, uh, but yeah, uh, I'm not crazy about uh, climate change as a, as a, as a thing. Um, and yeah, I mean... I mean, I don't stress, I don't wake up in the morning like, oh, damn, climate change is happening. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's a bad thing, and I think we should do something about it. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. Okay. my thoughts generally. <laughs> so speaking along the lines that we were saying, like about how our system works, if we were to do something about it. Right. What, I mean, and I don't expect you to be an expert on what needs to be of done, course, right. but I, I, I'm like, how do you see that change happens in our system? Well... There are a few ways, um, but the, at least my, the, what I think, the best way to actually effectuate, actually make a discernible difference on an issue is to change the system. And to change the system, you need to make a law. Um, and to make laws, you need to get members of Congress, you need to get uh, members of the House, members of the Senate, the president, you need to get politicians to... Uh, agree with you and you need to get um, and you need to show them that it's in their political interest to support, you know, aggressive climate change legislation. Mm. Um, And obviously there's, you know, I I don't think what I think the the focus of the conversation is not necessarily about the political, you know, ups and downs of the climate change issue. And because that's a whole different conversation, but in terms of just how change in any field actually happens, I think personally, it comes from 
the political winds changing and in the uh, that it comes through the political system basically that the public opinion changes and politicians are ultimately you know people that uh, try to see where the wind is blowing um, and try to follow it otherwise they're out of a job so. <laughs> right so they get pressured into change or supported yeah. into change depending right. on right you know what right and there are ways and there are various ways you can do that some you know, there's the there's sort of the Mr. Smith goes to Washington version or the West Wing version or the, the very idealistic version where a group of citizens is really concerned about, you know, uh, climate change or uh, reforming public education or some um, or some some issue. And they call their Congress. They all call the members of Congress and say, Congressman in my in our district, I think it's uh, it's uh, Joe Courtney. Courtney right. Yeah, I call it Congressman Courtney. Congressman, I want you to support you know Bill House Bill blah 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 uh, to make climate change illegal. I don't know. <laughs> right. You get the idea. Yeah. Um, but there's the more cynical theory, which is you have money and you give them money to politicians right. and then they, they do what you want. Right. Um, so I think from my re- what I read and my sort of intuitive sense of things. It's a mixture of both. Money helps. Money gets, mm-hmm. you know, money runs the camp, helps the campaigns go to keep politi- the mm-hmm. right politicians in office. Mm-hmm. But, you know, money, as we saw, I think, in um, the 2012 election when um, there were billions and billions of dollars spent by super PACs on both sides to fund various causes. So the conservative, conservative side had um, was funding, can- you know, really conservative candidates that were really... Um, uh, against things like Planned Parenthood and whatnot, um, but they didn't see a lot of success at the polls. Um, and there were liberal groups like uh, Lawrence Lessig's uh, Mayday P, uh, Super PAC, uh, dedicated to fighting uh, to fighting for campaign finance reform. Both are examples of you know money only goes basically to say that mo- money only goes so far. Money that ultimately it's about the public, and money helps you get that message out. Money helps make that whole the message system run, right. but it's not, but it's not a replacement for the message itself. For the vote. Yeah. For yeah, votes. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. It doesn't replace votes. So that brings up thing, a lot of questions for me. So one, uh, one of them is, and we'll, let's get to this later, but what the hell is a super PAC? And, the, <laughs> and then, I mean, I think I've had it explained to me, but it's for some reason it just slips out of my mind like a slippery fish. Um, um, but also, um, I think it probably would be useful, and I apologize to people listening to this who are rolling their eyes because they they paid attention during American history, or they had a good teacher that didn't <laughs> put them to sleep, or they right. were interested in this, and right. you know, it felt right. like they it was empowering to them when they were young, which none of the above were true for me. Um, <clears throat> but I need to back up and just kind of run through the systems of the government. Like first mm-hmm. of all, like some we're talking like about national, right. uh, whoops, I bumped into my thing, um, uh, national, the way we make laws nationally, but there's also sort of micro, microcosm systems on the state level. Right. right. And, and, and on, on a certain level, even smaller, you know, town right, level right, stuff right. happens too. So, and then, you know, like we have two houses of, of Congress. Mm-hmm. Is that right? <laughs> well, Congress know. consists of the House and the Senate. So those okay. are two houses. Okay. So when you say two. congressman, you could be talking about either one. Yeah. It could be a, me- right. could be a house member, a senator. And, one. and when does it, when a law gets made, does it start in either place? 
Well, how a bill becomes a law. There's a very famous Schoolhouse Rock video. I know, video. and I saw that too. And yeah. he, I, I, I remember his voice very well. And he yeah. was just a bill, and he wanted to be a law. Yeah. And he was sitting on the stairs, but I still don't remember. Right. Details. So that bill. So what happens? So I'll try to, I, if okay. I can remember the video, and I hope my explanation is correct too. You should watch, rewatch the video. Well, starts out. Um, this is the this is the very is a very idealistic version. So we can do the cynical version and the idealistic version. I'll start with the idealistic one first. Okay. The idealistic one is a group of citizens, you or me, um, whomever, yeah. writes a letter or an email or, you know, sends a text, you know, depending, <laughs> depending on your preferred method of community, writes, right. writes something on Twitter yeah. um, at a member of Congress mm -hmm. saying, con uh, se or, you know, and Senator Murphy, Senator Chris so Murphy. So either House or yeah, Senate. Yeah, well, they have to be, so, so back up even Actually, farther. we should back up, yeah, I was going to say. Back up even farther. So... You call whatever member of Congress you think, uh, you know, member of the House, member of the Senate, doesn't matter. And you say, Congressman Murphy, Congresswoman, uh, Congresswoman uh, Wasserman, Wasserman Schultz, um, I want, I think that in my state, Connecticut, uh, although Debbie Wasserman Schultz is from Florida, so, or Florida, Connecticut, Florida, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that we should have uh, a carbon tax, for example. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, you know, probably someone in their office will say the senator will consider it or the congressman will consider yeah. it. The senator will say, I think that's a good idea. And so the, the, that member of Congress will propose a bill um, in Congress and it'll get assigned by the, by the congressional leadership to an appropriate committee. Um, and where the law will be debated and there'll be, and they'll investigate it. And if, so, so a committee being a certain subset of, of people in that particular yeah, a certain branch member of, Con of Congress. Right. And that's so okay. a committee is a congressional committee is say, for example, there's the, um, house is say, for example, is the house, um, uh, house education and the workforce committee. Okay. So that's a committee of members of Congress. Right. Um, so if your suggestion sort of lines up with what they're right, tasked so some with, might be foreign. So the okay. some is foreign relations. Some is um, the so, some is appropriations. So how like how the government spends actually sp the federal budget. So how the government okay. actually spends. So members of the, the certain committees have more power than others. Okay. Because some committees are more important than others. So for example, members of the Senate or House Appropriations Committee are very powerful because they are on the committee that decides what, how much money goes to which federal initiative. So for certain, so for some members, so for members of Congress, they want federal money to go back to their local districts to fund infrastructure projects, et cetera, et cetera. So do they actually decide it or do they propose it and then everyone votes on it? So, hmm. So no, they don't. They don't just. They don't make the final decision, but they come but out. They come out with. But the, they write the, the that committee creates the budget, the, creates the budget, right. and then the whole Congress votes on okay. it. Okay. Yeah. And but, but yeah, it has to get. So there are a few things. So and also in Congress, and so to get something out of a committee, you have to get a majority on that committee. Okay. Um, so the committees are predetermined and 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 static, like they don't change. No, they change. Okay. They change based on first of all which party has the most number, has the greatest number of seats in Congress. So the, they change the who's on the committee and the kinds of committees and names of committees change, or um, just 
I think members. I don't know about the names and the topics of committees. I don't think that changes. I'm sure that changes, but I think that changes less often, very infrequently. Right. Okay. Whereas the membership of committees changes all the time. Okay. It changes every two years because of congressional elections. And before we go on to what happens next, after you tweet your suggestion to your congressman or whatever, Right. right? Let me also back up and clarify the difference between the two houses. So the right. Congress, I mean, is, the Senate. Is, the Senate, a senator is someone who's, a, uh, there's, okay, so there's one, there are two senators from each state. Right. That's why there's 100 senators, 50 okay. states. Um, and each senator serves for six years. Okay. Um, the Senate is considered sort of the more, it's the upper house. Yeah. So Senate, for example, the Senate Intelligence Committee or the Senate Foreign Relations Committee are have a lot of power. They okay. get they have a lot of contact with the State Department, um, the NSA, the CIA, the the White House, all sorts of all mm-hmm. sorts of people. Um, the House, uh, and it's also it's a statewide office. So to get so to be elected as a senator is a big deal right. because you have you can't just get your really liberal or really conservative constituency to vote for you. You have to get everyone in the state to vote for okay. you. Okay. And then with the House of Representatives, it's by district? So the House of Representatives is based on population. Right. So states like California, New York, Texas have a lot of members of Congress. Right. Whereas smaller states like Connecticut have fewer. And you're represented based on district. So right. the eastern part of Connecticut is the second district of Connecticut. Okay. Um, where we are. Yeah, where we are. Um, so, um, the rest of the state is drawn out by district lines. Okay. So how many are in the house of representatives? Uh, in the house of representatives, the, how many members, how many house members are there? Yeah. 436, 436. See why I feel dumb around you. <laughs> you know all that stuff. Okay. See, so actually, here's a fun. Here's a here's a really easy way to remember that. Oh. So there's a very famous political blog called Five Thirty Eight by Nate Silver. Do you know uh, that? Is that the total? So Five Thirty Eight is the House, uh, is the House, the Senate, uh, the Vice President, and the, and the president. president. So vi- President, Vice President, two, um, one hundred members of the Senate because two for every state, and then four hundred and thirty six is well, the rest. How come the Secretary of State isn't in that? Because they're not. That's not part of the line of. That's not oh, they don't. They don't. That's, they don't. They're not elected. Oh, okay. those are all the uh, major. Oh, those are the elected major, national, yeah, officials. national, federal, yeah, oh, federally elected officials. Okay. okay, so, so the committee entertains the idea of a carbon tax. Now, what do you have any idea what committee would that might go Probably, to? Probably, uh, energy, uh, technology and science, maybe energy. Um, there's environment. Is there an environment? Well, there's the. There's this. It's really frustrating, actually. There's a. I think it's a House and Senate Committee on Science and Technology, which okay. is sort of where that would fall. And what's also, frustrating? Or, well, there was a member of. I think it was James Inhofe, a senator from Oklahoma, who brought a snowball into that that yes. committee meeting to prove that global warming wasn't real. Right. And this man sits on the science and technology committee oh. of the U.S. in the U.S. Oh, and the, in the United States Senate. So you're like, oh, God, where are we? What's going on? Right. What's going on? Well, but is there, there must be some kind of environment. I mean, I know that there's an energy. A- I think maybe energy. Well, that's the EPA. That's yeah. a federal agency that deals right. with all that. Um, energy. I think it's energy and the environment. I would, I don't know off the top of my head, to be honest. Okay. Well, probably, we can look it up. Yeah, Google it. Why don't I do that really quick? I see them under subcommittees. 
So there's, okay, I'm not going to go through them all. So it's kind of spread out. Okay. So. Isn't our government so, so, uh, so, so complicated? Mm -hmm. So the, so the idea of the carbon tax would, I guess would go. So I forgot. Did you say that it can go to either one first, right? So. Either branch. So, so what would happen is a member of Congress would propose the bill mm -hmm. and the congressional leadership, um, in whatever party correspond is in the leadership, yeah. um, would assign it to a committee and the subcommittee, the appropriate subcommittee. Oh, okay. And then there would be hearings and discussion and testimony right. on the subcommittee about the bill. And if enough members of the subcommittee like it, then they'll have a vote, um, and they'll get it out of sub the subcommittee. Uh, and then it'll get brought to the larger committee mm -hmm. in general. And then if they like it, they'll bring it out of committee, and then it'll get put to the whole Congress for a vote. The whole Congress or the whole House? Sorry, or the, the whole House. Whole senator. Right, right, to the, the whole, to the whole House. Um, Definitely how well, but if it's in a committee and Well, usually there's, usually there's two versions of the same bill. Oh. So they'll get tracked through the House and Senate committee structure, uh -huh. and so that, so, that there's, um, so that the version in the House... So that the version, and then eventually the, there's a version in the House and the version in the Senate, and they try to, and the, their bring two sides meet and they bring them together to try to, you know, because some Senate, you know, because some senators will have an objection to this thing, whereas some right. members of the House will have a, an objection to another thing. And right, and it has to pass in both It has to pass in both places, so they might as well work on it until they all like it, right. rather than just someone put it out there and then they vote. Right. So that's why it goes. And then the it process. gets so right. Then it gets right. then it gets brought to a general vote mm -hmm. in both houses. Yeah. And then if it passes that, they 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 <clears throat> they workshop the bill and put it put it together, and they send it to the president to sign. Okay. And the president can either sign it or he can veto it. And if he vetoes it, the Congress the, there needs to be a two thirds Senate majority to override a veto. And this is important now because of the Iran the Iran nuclear situation. It's um, where so for example so to, in order you have to get the two thirds of the Senate mm -hmm. to over to override a veto. So they're trying to over override the the tr the treaty or what? Yeah, the, the Iran nuclear deal. Deal, yeah. right? Yeah. So for example, so a carbon tax. Let's say it's you know a Republican president who doesn't like the idea of a carbon yeah. tax. Say you know President uh, Mitt Romney vetoes <laughs> the carbon tax bill. Let's just go with Trump. Let's just do it. Okay, let's president President Trump. Donald Trump says it's a it's a fucking stupid idea, all right? You know. Hey, this is this is this is a PG. We gotta watch out. Hey, I'm I'm impersonating. It. It's it's Trump. It's I'm impersonating <laughs> Trump. I have to get into. All right, get in says, character. Go for it. This idea is a loser. This carbon tax. It's it's for dopes. <laughs> so if he says that and vetoes the carbon tax bill. Um, the Senate would need uh, at least 66 or 67, it's two -thirds, 67 votes in order to, to override President Trump's veto. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we, we've got to pay attention to our, to our um, Congress elections. When, so, okay. So we're coming up on a national presidential election. Yes. And does that mean, uh, are all of the, are all the Senate and, and House Election, so they're both on six years. No. no, one. Members of the House are elected every two years. Okay, so so every time there's a presidential election, the House is also there's also yes because every two years is everyone it? in the House is up for a reelection and it's at the same time everyone's always open. I mean, it's not yeah. like they alternate years or something like that. Well, in the Senate, the Senate they do because um, 
in, yeah, in the Senate they do because some uh, some members are elected. Um, some members say, like Chris Murphy, for example, was elected in 2012, and he's not up for re-election until 2018. Right. Whereas in the House, it's every everyone is every two years. So in in um, I always want to say Congress, but that's everything. In the Senate, this mm-hmm. every six year situation. Every six years, yeah. It's not uh, everybody who's up on 2018 for right. re-election. Some of them are. Some of them are. Some of them aren't because de- they got elected in 2014. You know, it depends. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So interesting. Um, okay. What else should I know? Um, that a lot of rich people like to buy your politicians. Oh yeah, right. You were going to talk about <laughs> the cynical packed. version of how a law. The gets cynical passed. version. The cynical version of how a law gets passed is that a politician goes to a donor meeting, um, to, tries goes has a big fundraiser and has to talk to a really rich donor to get money to run their campaign, and then the donor says, "Well, Senator, I think you should propose a bill to make everyone wear purple on Tuesdays." And then the senator comes out and says, I, I do believe that we should all wear purple on wet Tuesdays um, <laughs> because that donor gave them a lot of money to their campaign. Yep. So they have to, you know, they feel a sense of that, that money doesn't come for free, basically. Right. Um, and so then that bill that didn't come from a constituent, it didn't come, yeah. I mean, it's constituent, but a constituent of one rather right. than the rest of us, mm-hmm. you know. That bill gets, gets pushed through, pushed. yeah, and that and that donor isn't just funding that candidate. That donor is funding, say, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, right? Right. So it's not just this, not just this politician. It's a lot of politicians. Right. So who it's like a all... bunch of people in that committee feel beholden to right special interests, yeah. Right. And it, and there are versions of that on both in both parties. Yeah. It's not an exclusively so know, Republican or Democratic thing. Okay, I still want to know what a super PAC is. But I also don't want to forget this, what I want to talk about next, which is um, the whole idea of campaign finance reform. Because when I think about the little that I know and Mm -hmm. understand about how the government works, um, I get caught there. I just feel like, how are we ever going to change anything unless we address that? And how are we going to address that while Mm -hmm. we're still in the system? So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. But before we go, we'll we'll just hold on to that while you tell me what a super PAC is. So it's actually a little, well, it's not terribly complicated, but it's, but there's a little history involved. Okay. So back in 2000, was it 2010 Citizens United? 2010. Back in 2010, I believe, 2011, sorry, 2011. Um, don't quote me on the date. I won't. <laughs> so at one point well, there, I will, one I will p- record you on the date, but we will, we will keep in mind that it might be inaccurate. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, to all listeners, don't quote yes, me on the date. It. Uh, 2011, I think was a Supreme court decision, uh, called citizens United, right. which said that, uh, corporation that said that, uh, corporations could give unlimited money to candidates. Um, and there was not, uh, and also didn't have to, and didn't have to disclose right. wh- who was giving the money and how much. Um, and so that led the, led and the lack of enforcement, uh, power by the federal election commission who governs money in politics, campaign stuff, um, means that a super, means that there are now these things called super PACs. Okay. Let me just back up. What was it? What was the law before this got passed? So the law before this got passed, as I understand it, which admittedly is limited, okay. um, 
as the law before this got before the well it wasn't passed before there was a, before the citizens right. united was basically you had you could only give up to a certain amount of money and you had to disclose mm-hmm. how much you gave um as as a corporation or as an individual or both? as as both okay yeah you had to you had to give there was only a certain amount you could give and you could only give um only a certain amount and you had to disclose how much right um, and you had to file everything with the FEC. Whereas, um, what does FCC stand for? FEC. FEC. The FEC is the Federal Election Commission. Okay, just just yeah. to be, I'm just gonna try to dumb it down as much as yeah, possible. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, so they passed Citizens United. So, you're right. So now what happens is uh, these outside groups called super PACs mm-hmm. um, that are funded by donors by rich rich people mm-hmm. um are quote are not supposed to be working with campaigns they but they can be um but they can raise unlimited amounts of money and not have to disclose who's okay. who's funding them so they're sort of like uh satellite campaign financing organization kind of yeah but they're not supposedly not not being... coordinating air quotes for air quotes for your listeners <laughs> not co- not coordinating wink yeah you know yeah so so a super pack is it's a sort of like a and I use this term fully aware that it's the wrong term but I can't think of another one it's sort mm-hmm. of like a nonprofit fundraising organization for a campaign. Well, I'm actually glad you said that. Own. Well, I'm actually glad you said that okay. because the thing that makes the super PAC thing so heinous and gross yeah. in my opinion mm-hmm. is that they can register as a 501c4, 501c 501c4 I think. 501c4, which is an IRS non-profit. So you can group. Right. So you can do all of this and not have to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. You can raise all this money and do all this stuff. And that's and that's also true for um, for special interest groups. So groups with titles like Americans for Prosperity or Americans for Reform right. or Americans for Apple Pie or what, you know, fill in the blank yeah. um, can raise unlimited unlimited amounts of money mm-hmm. from rich donors um, to do whatever um, and classify themselves as quote unquote nonprofit social welfare organizations and not have to pay taxes and not have to be not have the irs look into their accounting so just to just because i there's such a thing as a 501c3 that i knew about but that's a typical nonprofit. so i don't know if it's a c4 is a different thing it's 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 different it's an irs thing okay yeah it's different okay so a super PAC has somebody at the helm it's like one per you know like yeah so a super PAC, as i understand it is uh, basically so for example um what was what was obama's super pack it was um i'll look it up is it american progress no oh god i don't remember i know that the big republican one was crossroads gps okay um and that so crossroads gps was headed by Karl Rove, who was President Bush's chief political advisor. Um, and that organization could raise as much money as it wanted without needing 
without necessarily being affiliated with any campaign, um, quote unquote. But there were a lot of there are a lot of super PACs that are essentially doing the dirty work, doing the dirty work for political for, for political candidates. But due to the due to an FEC rule, to the FEC they can't lead, they can't coordinate on strategy. But the rules are so flimsy and unenforceable that and the fines are so low, the fines are so minimal that campaigns will just pay you know just pay yeah. the fines. Okay, so I mean, I guess the bottom line. It'll make is, you really cynical when you when you learn more about I, this. I know, I know. It makes you cynical. I'm, 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 I'm aware that the closer I look at these things, the more, the more upsetting it becomes. Yeah. But um, but but I guess for the purposes of 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 understanding the impact, the the bottom line is that now can like campaigns used to have. It wasn't enough of a limit, in my opinion, but they used to have a certain amount of a limit to how much they could spend on their campaign right. because they couldn't, because no nobody could d- donate more than a certain amount, right. and so and the idea being it kept them from having undue influence. Right. And now, now that's gone. Right. Right. And what also used to happen is that it would be possible for candidates to run out of money. Right. Um, now, if a candidate has a super PAC sort of going with them, they can you know, spend all this, they, they have this, um, this ability to raise unlimited anonymous cash right. from donors. So say for example, you know, the Koch um, brothers, yeah, the Koch brothers or, uh, George Soros or Tom Steyer or, um, the Sheldon Adelson or like one of these, you know, famous political, really, really rich people who gives a lot of money to political campaigns. Um, if they like, if you can convince them that you're worth investing in, you can keep your candidate running indefinitely. Right. Um, so what will be interesting to see in this upcoming election is how long candidates stay on because they have all this money coming in, even if the voters don't want them. Right. So say, for example, well, Chris Christie yeah. or John Kasich or Rick Perry, you know, even if they finish you know they get well, no votes and but i mean it wouldn't there i would imagine there would come a point when if they're getting no votes that the money would dry up for them of course it, yeah eventually but they're but, but not they're as gonna, quickly right but they're going to stay on a lot longer right. okay so let's spend a few minutes before we sort of overextend the length of time we talk mm-hmm. um let's spend a few minutes on the idea of campaign finance reform mm-hmm. you were mentioning that there was um, a super PAC that was addressing that? Is there a, whatever? I'd like to hear anything you want to say about right. it. Right. Well, campaign finance reform originally was uh, something that it was actually a pretty good. Mo- it was, I would, I did not, I was not old enough to vote when John McCain ran for president in 2008, but he um, did something that I thought was, I think is, was pretty honorable. And that, and that at the time there was a bill called McCain Feingold proposed by John McCain, Senators John McCain and Senator at the time, Russ Feingold. Mm-hmm. Um, Russ Feingold, just as an, this is a, this was a big deal at the time because Russ Feingold is a very liberal left-wing Democrat and John McCain is not mm-hmm. that either of those things. <laughs> um, um, but McCain Feingold basically created a public finance system where if candidates could get enough support, they could qualify for taxpayer funded political campaigns so that you didn't need to basically go to donors and beg for money the way, at least not as much as you do now, um, because you knew you could have matching public funds to go along with it. Mm -hmm. Whereas now it's all private money going, flowing in and out of the system. And so, 
Um, and the reason McCain-Feingold was abandoned was because of Citizens United. The Supreme Court said that that was that's uh, that it was unconstitutional. They said that the that the, the McCain-Feingold was unconstitutional. On what? On what grounds? I don't really. I honestly don't know. I shouldn't be saying because I don't really. Okay, I don't know. That's okay. I don't know too much about that. That's okay. So, um, and what? So, how the heck are we going to change that? Well, I think there is a lot of public anger about the campaign finance system. Yeah. I remember seeing some poll somewhere saying that you know a huge majority of Americans yeah. think that uh, the campaign finance system is totally broken. Right. Um, and you can see this also with the rise of candidates like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. People feel Trump is kind of different in his own, yeah. you know, own sphere. But they, I mean, I can see why you could put them in the same category. Yeah, they're so, not traditional politicians. Yeah. They don't beg donors. They don't beg rich donors for money mm -hmm. because people feel like the system is rigged. Yeah. The campaign finance system mm -hmm. is rigged and that it's broken. Right. And that it's meant to serve, mm -hmm. you know, very rich people yeah. who give money to political ca campaigns. Right. And not the rest of us. I, um... A while ago, and I'll try to find this link and put it in the show notes. Um, by the way, when you want to find the show notes, you, you'll you see them if you subscribe on iTunes. The show notes are there. If you go to the website, hellocc.info, um, every time I put a new episode up, um, I, I list it there with the show notes. Um, and I try to at least put in one useful link each time. So so the link I'm going to try to locate to, to for this one is a TED Talk I saw a while back. Um, and I don't remember the guy's name, but he was talking about his movement about uh, campaign finance reform. And they were doing these like, you know, walks across different states and getting more and more people involved and trying to, you know, build up a, a critical mass to, to march on D.C., I believe. And he was quoting statistics that were it was in the 90 something percent mm -hmm. when people are polled. Do they think that that campaign finance you know, form is a good idea? And the answer is oh, yes. Yeah. And and yet it's it's something that we we haven't put any pressure in, a, at least not successfully, effectively to make it change. So. Well, the thing about the thing that is difficult about campaign finance reform is that people don't vote. Uh, I don't think that people vote on campaign finance reform. People vote on guns. People vote on mm -hmm. abortion. People vote on health care. People vote on, you know, Taxes. Econ economic issues. Yeah. But people don't vote on campaign finance reform. Mm -hmm. People, So there isn't enough kind of, there isn't enough of a coalition demanding, like, if you yeah. don't vote for this, we're going to, we're going to screw you, right. you know, okay. kind of, there isn't like an, an version, there isn't a version of the NRA for right. campaign finance reform. Right. So, that's a problem, first mm -hmm. of all. Second of all, the people who benefit from the current system are the politicians themselves. Yeah. So they don't have a lot of incentive yeah. to piss off their rich donor friends that as long as the system, as long as the system stays what it is, um, they benefit from. Although, the, on the other hand, I've heard interviews with lawmakers saying... They hate. They don't like it. They don't like having to constantly raise money. Right. It makes a lot of people in Washington, especially with the partisan gridlock we're in right now, well, it makes a lot of. I've heard a lot of interviews with lawmakers saying it makes you just not want to come to work. Yeah. It makes you really just wonder like why you got into this into politics in the first place because it's not about ideas. It's not. A, it's about raising money. It's always about the next election and raising right. money and then raising money for you know local can't for you know if you're talking if you're a federal you know if say you're a senator or a congressman mm -hmm. it's about ra then raising money. For local, you know, for lo for the local Democrats, the local mm -hmm. Republicans, or it's 
about raising money for the national party. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a never ending, you know, cycle of mm-hmm. fundraising. And I think there are a lot, there are probably a lot of lawmakers in both sides of the aisle, but in both parties and both very different ideological spectrums who agree that that kind of defeats that is that in that, that, um, that cycle is defeating the purpose of why that's defeating the reason that's ruining, basically ruining their time as time as member of right. members of Congress. Right. That's not why they got into this in the mm-hmm. first place. So deep down they feel the same way or we hope we would like to think in yeah. general. Um, so let's just take a couple more minutes on how the system works in, in a broader sense. So we've talked about the, that one branch of our government, which is, I guess, legislative. Right. And then there's also two more. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to go ahead. So the three branches of government, very important. Yeah. Legislative, that's Congress, um, which is the House and the Senate. There's the executive, which is the president Mm -hmm. and the federal government agencies, federal bureaucracy. And there's the judicial system, like the Supreme Court. Um, Right. And they're each, and they're all governed by the doctrine of separation of powers. So Congress, uh, only Congress has the power to declare war. But the president and the president can only ask for a declaration, but the president can't just declare yeah, war. Right. Actually, that's not technically true under the War Powers Act of the 1970s. That's a different story. But that's the way in, it was. In theory, in, yeah. in the broad, yeah. basic, you know, Civics 101, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, the Congress, the, here's basically, here's the basic cycle. Mm-hmm. The citizens, we, the people, tell our members of Congress, who are our representatives, to, uh, to make a law. And the law gets passed in Congress. Mm-hmm. Then the law is passed from the Congress to the president. The president can say, I like the idea. I'll sign it. And it becomes a law. Mm-hmm. Or he can say, veto it. And then it goes back to Congress. But if he signs it and it becomes a law, then it's the Supreme Court's job to decide whether or not it's constitutional. Whether or not it is the law has been made in accordance with the principles of the Constitution. Whether or not it's... It's, it meets certain uh, mm-hmm. tests. So what happens if they say it's not? Then the law goes away. The law goes down. Oh. And the Congress has to fix the law or make a new one. Okay. And, and so one thing that I think is interesting that's happening around climate change is that there are young people, and I'm not sure I have the details on this because it, I've heard about this in individual cases, but I think at this point there's like a class action suit of young people mm-hmm. who are suing... Um, who are taking basically taking the issue of climate change into the judicial world instead of the mm-hmm. legislative world because it looks like basically Congress, nothing gets done right exactly yeah. and so they're suing on the grounds of their rights to have um, uh, an environment they can live in <laughs> right and so and 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 I'm saying this in very non technical terms but there's actually like right. the public trust or some kind of right, you know right. more sort sure. of things that you would hear in history, American history class words that I can't remember, um, you know, as the grounds for their lawsuit. So I think that's kind of interesting and exciting. And, and, and I also think of lately hearing, I don't even know who it was, but somebody right wing, um, pontificating about how they felt like that, that the judicial, um, system is just a rogue, branch of government and that they should be elected and well they're not listen you know, they're not appointed every every time a politician gets up and says that the judicial branch is 
you know, a bunch of activist judges, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. It's because the Supreme, and this is both sides. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt said exactly the same thing. Okay. Um, and it's basically the court made a decision that I don't like. Right. And that's a valid argument. I think you can say, I think the court's wrong, but that doesn't necessarily, right. but you know, disagreeing with a Supreme court opinion or, you know, disagreeing with a court opinion doesn't necessarily const- doesn't necessarily mean we that we need to change the system right. it means that i don't agree with that right right yeah so anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up um vote for pre- don't vote for donald trump first of all don't vote or do a vote, vote for him why do you say that? i was joking uh, oh, okay <laughs> remember to get your, uh, your <laughs> i thought tr- you had like a, a no i i think strategy i, I think first of all well i think it's i think it's really important that people learn about this stuff yeah because it really does affect our everyday lives right. i mean if you want to see, you know, the most immediate change, I mean, I, honestly, I think just learning more about government mm-hmm. makes w- makes you so much more feel so much. I feel like you have so much more of a stake in what's going mm-hmm. on. I think the reason a lot of people don't feel so kind of disaffected and cynical about the system. I mean, there are a lot of very good reasons to feel that feel yeah. this way. But I think a lot of it is just a lot of people just don't know how the government works. And it feels like this like abstract you know, large entity that has, looks, seems really complicated that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, the people, you know, you don't really understand and that's fair, you know, but I think once you start learning more about the system and how it actually works, you're like, Oh, so there is actual, an actual mechanism to get things to change. Our leaders just suck at making things change. So mm-hmm. we need to change our leaders, but there is a way to make things change. It's not all desperate. Right. It's not all, it's not impossible. Right. We just have pe- we just have people that, aren't doing the things we want. Right. Or, you know, and I would say, I would, I would, um, add to that, that in some cases it may not be that the leader themselves is the problem. It's that they're stuck in the system too. Right. And and that if we support, like, that's why I said earlier, you can support or, or I don't remember how I put it, but it's either support or, or pressure. Um, the politician to do things that you want because sometimes right. it's things they want and they have to have the public support behind right. them right. or else it's a career ender for them, right. Right? Right. which we, you know, which is too bad that, that it is a career in a sense. It's, it right. would be, I mean, I think ideally it was set up that it, it was sort of like a public duty, like jury duty, you know, you go mm. in and you take your turn. On the other hand, I actually kind of, I'm, I, I'm sort of divided on that, yeah. on the question of career politicians versus, versus amateurs. I think there is as much as, as much as it does bother me that honestly, I think it, it, it is bothersome to think about the fact that some people spend their entire adult lives as politicians and members of Congress and things like that. Um, you know, because you want to give every, you want to make sure that more people All have, voices get heard. Yeah, that more voices get heard. On the other hand, I think there is something to be said for someone who's been in the game a long time and knows what they're doing, mm-hmm. and knows, you know, especially if you're talking about someone who's been on, say, the Foreign Relations Committee or Foreign mm-hmm. Affairs Committee. Right. You know, no, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, you want you want people that have spent a lot of time in the public eye, who have spent a lot of time. Yeah you know, really getting to know these issues well so that they can actually, right. you know, do good, do a good job. The only, the only downside is it that is that I'm thinking of right now is just that having to make decisions and leadership that will, that are based on, on whether or not it'll be popular rather than whether or not it will be good. Right. So, well, unfortunately, democracy is the worst way to get good. It's the worst way to do that. 
because it's about the people. If you can't get, if you can't it's gotta get, be popular, it's got to be popular or else you don't get reelected. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can't get, and then you can't get your, can't get what you want. Right. You and you know what? I, I would just, I will just say my last thing about this subject about democracy mm-hmm. is that it was a huge revelation for me to realize, um, you know, I grew up in a house with two brothers and, and the, it was a democracy about which, and, and all, and, and a television with only a few stations. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have the internet, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it was a democracy in terms of what TV show we were going to watch at night, right. which meant we always watched what my two brothers wanted because it was always two against one. There you go. So I learned early that democracy, democracy is blows. not fair. <laughs> uh, yeah. So on that note, well, thank you very on much. That, on that note, democracy blows. All right. No, <laughs> no but this I mean, but one last thing. Okay. It's like politics is frustrating and it will make you, it can make you cynical and bitter and angry but it's kind of like that Rolling Stones song. You can't always get what you want. And right. that's kind of how democracy works, right? Especially our system. Our system in particular. There are a lot of other countries that have that are democratic but have very different, more parliamentary mm-hmm. systems where, you know, if one party gets in, they get to do whatever they want for four years and then, you know, then the other team gets voted in. Right. People like it. Basically, our system especially is... Um, not uniquely, but is especially complex and convoluted. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy to, I think, to get, it's very easy to get frustrated and cynical. But I think once you start understanding how the system works, it feels like, oh, okay, this is how this happens. You start thinking systematically, like, well, if members of Congress, you know, have to get, get elected every two years, then of course they have to raise money all the time because they're constantly running for re-election because they have to do it every two years. You get elected and then you raise money um, so, because you spend the next year campaigning to get reelected, you know. So then he's like, "Oh, okay." So you know, it's sort of like everything builds on everything else. So you see, oh, this is how the campaign finance affects that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I would say. So what I would I go back to is if the choice is between Dukes of Hazard and uh, Little House on the Prairie, and it's two against one, you have to be a really annoying one to get right. your way. Yeah, and you just have to build a coalition around it, or you have to say, or just make say a both. policy like, like for the for two weeks we watch Deuce of Hazard, and one week we watch, you know. Alternatively, uh, you can say both of those shows are not interesting. I'm going to go read a book. You can also say that. <laughs> no, like, never. All right, no, thank just, you so much, Brendan. Yeah, that was no awesome. Problem. That yeah. was really awesome. Also, to all of your listeners, please go do your own real research before exactly. you take anything I say at face value. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.